welcome everyone to this week's Citizens Climate University. It's a weekly webinar program of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters like you and I with access to in-depth training opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease, CCL's Education and Engagement Director. And tonight's topic is going to be part one of two for our June 2022 lobby training series. We're specifically going to be focusing on CCL's legislative plan heading into June for this topic. So join CCL's Vice President of Government Affairs, Dr. Danny Richter, for this training, and we'll provide you up-to-the-moment insights on the dynamics in Congress and how we can most effectively use this time in meetings to support our agenda. And again, a reminder, we'll go over this again at the end, that this is a recommended training, one of two, for those planning on joining their local June 2022 lobby meetings. So to get us through this training, the man who needs no introduction, Dr. Danny Richter is CCL's Vice President of Government Affairs. Dr. Richter joined CCL staff in 2013 after getting paid to do research across all seven continents. If you joined us last night for the launch of Nerd Corner, you gotta hear a little bit more about that background from Danny. And as CCL's first staffer in DC, Danny established our DC office where he has been responsible for developing our overall legislative strategy, clarifying the details of CCL's policies they support and interacting with other groups on the Hill. He also has overseen our research program and we are looking forward to all of the updates that you have for us today, Danny. So with that, I will pass the baton to you. And again, thank you all so much for being here tonight. Well, thank you, Brett, as always, for that kind introduction. And thank you, everybody, for being here. Um, so I have three goals for you tonight. Goal number one is I hope to provide a clear view of the current state of our politics and the role that I think CCL can play within it. Goal number two is to understand the opportunity we still have in the reconciliation process and goal number three is to get a better sense of the, what headspace Congress is in as you prepare for your lobby meetings. So those are the goals. Let's see if we can meet them. I'm going to try and execute these goals by following this agenda. I'm going to start with a review of where we've been because, you know, it's been a while since we checked in. Uh, number two, I want to talk about where Congress's heads are at, get, in, get into the head there. Uh, number three, what is the opportunity in front of us? What can we achieve? And number four, we'll wrap it up with conclusions and allow plenty of time for Q&A and discussion. So let's, let's go ahead and get it started. Uh, where we left off in November, the last time we had a lobby day, um, if you remember back then, uh, Senator Manchin had not yet killed the Build Back Better bill or BBB. Uh, and uh, there are lots of developments uh, and there's been lots of waiting uh, since, since that time. Uh, here are some of the more notable uh, developments. We have uh, Senator Manchin's January comments uh, where he said that he actually likes the climate provisions of Build Back Better and he could, uh, he'd be willing to support uh, that climate portion of that package up to $555 billion. So that was, that was very encouraging. Um, and, you know, it's been really interesting because I, to my eyes, Senator Manchin has been extremely consistent uh, throughout this process. He says he, he is going to cares about one thing and then it's the next month and people are surprised when he still cares about that, that one thing. So I, I think that Senator Manchin has been consistent. And to that end, he is still talking about the climate provisions. Uh, and so I think that that, is, that has remained uh, consistent. 
He remains open to negotiation, um, is, is, his, uh, is his point. Uh, there is an interesting divergence between Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema with respect to uh, their comfort zone, comfort levels on raising money. So this is, we're all talking about the Senate here uh, because the House has already passed a version of Build Back Better. So the ball is firmly in the Senate's court. Uh, and there are 48 Democrats who are willing to pass Build Back Better. Um, Manchin and Cinema are the only two who are kind of on the, on the fence. Um, it will not be called Build Back Better moving forward. It is the reconciliation bill, should one get over the line. And what's really interesting about the difference between Senator Manchin's preferences and Senator Sinema's preferences, Senator Manchin is comfortable with raising money from corporations and from drug pricing reform in a way that seems to be mutually exclusive to Kristen Sinema's preferences. And the reason I'm talking about that so much is, uh, you know, one thing that avoids this whole it seems, you know, we, we don't know their conversations, but it seems there's a conflict. One way to avoid that would be a carbon price. <laughs> Obviously not 100% dividend because one of the things that Senator Manchin has been very consistent on and, and President Biden has also said is that he wants reconciliation to be paid for. So um, that's, that's the one way, and I, I wanna be clear, it is, it is a very low probability outcome. But that, that tension between Manchin and Cinema is the, one very low probability at this point way that a carbon price could sneak into reconciliation. So that's why I mentioned that there. Uh, about a month ago in late April, there was a discussion with Schumer and this, um, uh, you know, if I were worried about my, my heart pressure, this would, be, this would be the thing that gets my, my heart going is that uh, this seemed to be the first time Sen uh, Senator Schumer had spoken with Senator Manchin since in, about this in a long time. Uh, but I mentioned that Senator Manchin has been very consistent. And you know what he brought up in that meeting with Leader Schumer? He brought up the deficit and he brought up inflation. So the same things that he's been bringing out for quite some time. And then adding on top of that, just to complicate things, uh, in the last few weeks, there's been this bipartisan climate and energy effort led by Senator Manchin and by Senator Murkowski. And I do want to talk about that a little bit. Um, so because that is that is very interesting. Uh, first of all, bipartisanship is good. Uh, so I think it's uh, I think it's great that there's there are these talks that are going on and CCL actually did put out a letter um, saying that uh, we think that bipartisanship is good. We're glad to see these talks, but it shouldn't delay reconciliation. The biggest concern that has come up with the Manchin-Murkowski bipartisan effort is that it could cause delay for reconciliation. And a lot of people in DC have been pretty down about it as a result. But my view here is that if reconciliation doesn't happen, I mean, we've been doing this for, we've been doing this for the better part of a year. If it doesn't happen, it won't be because of this bipartisan effort that mentioned Murkowski started in the last three weeks. If it doesn't happen, it will be because of the longstanding disagreements uh, within the Democratic caucus that have been there um, the entire time and we've, we've been seeing them. So I really don't want bipartisanship to get a bad name because of this. Uh, we've heard from Senate staff as, as Recently, as last week, Democratic Senate staff uh, working for a member involved in the talks, that in their assessment, the pros of the bipartisan effort outweigh the cons. 
uh, it is the case that discussions there could move directly into reconciliation text. And more than anything else, this bipartisan effort is getting Senator Manchin to engage on climate. So could this delay the reconciliation effort to the point where it can't pass, we run out of time? It's possible, uh, but I don't think that that will be the reason why it won't be the bipartisan effort. And right now this bipartisan effort is doing more than anything to get Manchin engaged and what happens there could translate directly into reconciliation. So I'm on the side that this is a good thing uh, and I hope the productive conversations continue. And as our letter said, we did share uh, with Senate staff, uh, we hope that uh, this will, people, Democrats will continue to move forward on reconciliation while they also move forward with this bipartisan effort. Um, I've been mentioning reconciliation several times, so let's check in on that again, because there's some mechanics here that are, are a bit unusual. So uh, July 30th is the real deadline here. And what I mean by the real deadline is the deadline after you account for recesses, how long it takes to come to an agreement, uh, all of that good stuff. September 30th is the technical deadline. So the budget resolution, which was issued last year, that expires on September 30th. So that's the technical deadline. But if we get past July 30th, there just isn't enough time. Uh, if we get to July 30th without an agreement, uh, you know, a handshake agreement uh, on, on what members of Congress are going to talk about, uh, there, won't be, there won't be enough time. Uh, if the Senate does pass something, it will go back to the House. And I will also note that after September 30th, there will not be time to pass another budget reconciliation uh, resolution and to start the process over. So uh, it's September 30th or bust on, uh, on reconciliation. Uh, and the key discussions here uh, are how to raise the money. And I already talked about some of the differences of opinion between Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema on that and what to cut from the House version. The House version uh, was uh, $3.5 trillion, and uh, Senator Manchin said he, would, he couldn't vote for something that big. Uh, he had uh, provided an outline for, I believe it was uh, $1.875 trillion uh, late last year, and uh, it's my understanding that that is also off the table. Um, so a lot, a lot is going to have to be cut from the House version, and uh, for us, Fortunately, as climate advocates, um, climate is not really much on the on the chopping block. There, there are a lot of other things that are on the chopping block, but that that $555 billion of climate investment, which would be the largest ever investment this country has made in uh, keeping carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases from going in the atmosphere, that, that would be a really big deal. But uh, with those impending deadlines, um, there is no longer all that much room to influence the details for outside groups like CCL. Um, so that, that's, that's different. That's different than what we've been doing. Uh, throughout CCL's existence, we have been trying to influence the details. We have been trying to will things into existence uh, and looking for, for um, negotiations and tweaking things in negotiations. We are getting so close to the line here that uh, really what's, uh, what's What's going to happen is uh, whatever is negotiated within the Democratic caucus, that's, that's going to be what uh, it is. It's going to be either that or nothing. So that's something to be 
um, kept in mind. But that being said, I do detect a bit of malaise uh, amongst the Democrats. They've been doing this for the better part of the year. I think that they really need to hear from their constituents, from you, that this remains a priority and that you expect them to, to do something big on climate. Uh, so our June advocacy could be very well timed, uh, given given the deadline, uh, given the uh, current state of the Democratic caucus, and um, but we just need to be realistic about uh, how much wiggle room there is going to be on the details. So uh, there's also been a lot of uh, a lot of development since we last met in November. Uh, of course, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, and this totally changed the world, the way the world uh, looks at energy. Some of this seems helpful uh, to our purposes, the, the climate advocates purposes. And for example, there is a greater urgency for reducing dependence on oil and natural gas uh, here and around the world uh, and greater urgency to deploy uh, renewables. Uh, however, some of the dynamics with Russia and Ukraine seem very problematic. Uh, for example, the high cost of fuel makes people less willing to accept new costs. And inflation uh, is, is something that was started before the invasion, uh, probably uh, with energy price inflation. Uh, those two are, are linked. Uh, but we've seen this really scaring Democrats away from climate ambition, uh, from things like, like the gas tax, the existing gas tax. You heard a lot of Democrats talking about a gas tax holiday, which was a terrible idea, uh, but we need to be aware of what we're walking into. And that I think is a great example of why our voices will be needed to stiffen their spines and remind them that uh, this is a really important time to be addressing, addressing climate and you, their constituents, expect them to act. There have also been a lot of other competing priorities in Congress. So uh, I mentioned that there's been a lot of waiting, a lot of waiting rounds and a lot of hand wringing. Uh, in the recent past, uh, you may remember there was a Supreme Court appointment. Uh, we just went through the appropriations process, which ties up Congress quite a bit. There was aid for, for Ukraine. Uh, and in our present and future, uh, moving forward, uh, the leaked, uh, unprecedented leaked draft decision from the Supreme Court regarding Roe v. Wade, uh, that has engaged Congress. So members of Congress are talking about that. We're getting very close to the election and uh, there, there are always recesses uh, where Congress is uh, gonna be back in district. Um, there are gonna be more in an election year, a lot more in an election year. And so they will not be together uh, in DC hammering out policies. That's, that's something that competes for their attention. The crisis in Ukraine, unfortunately, is not going away anytime soon. So we can expect that to continue to hold the attention of Congress and inflation as well is going to continue to be uh, an important thing, uh, drawing attention of, of Congress. And that's going to affect our, our advocacy. So it should be on your radar for uh, your lobby meetings. Uh, and there's also the, you know, with the dynamic that there's, there's already a reconciliation bill that has passed the House. So there's already text. And uh, I mentioned an agreement coming together. As an agreement comes together, large pieces of the reconciliation bill have already been written. So uh, this could come together quite quickly. 
and I want to address what happens if things come together quite quickly between now and the conference, or the converse, what happens if things totally fall apart between now and the converse, in our conference, the CCL conference. Well, we will adapt. <laughs> we'll probably have another one of these, and I'll, uh, I'll you, know, you can see what hair is left on my head after I've been pulling it out, trying to figure out how we're going to recast the primary asks, but I am confident we will we will adapt in either of those situations. Uh, and now, I, before we move on to the next section, I do want to end with some good news. And what I've got here are two different titles from news articles. This one is from earlier this month, Mansion Open to Methane Fee in Climate Energy Talks. Uh, and this was Senator Manchin bringing up himself in a, a hearing that his committee was running a methane fee and how that was something that uh, they were discussing. It wasn't clear in his comments whether he was talking about in reconciliation or with the uh, bipartisan energy and climate process that he started with Senator Murkowski, uh, but it doesn't really matter because in his mind, it's a good idea and it's something that should be done. And if you go back six months uh, to November 2nd of 2021 uh, or seven months, Democrats worked to salvage methane fee amid opposition from Manchin. Uh, that was the New York Times. So uh, this is one thing that he has changed his mind on. And he changed his mind because senators engaged with him. Uh, they met him where he was at and they negotiated. And now he's on board and he's been on board with the methane fee for quite some time. Uh, and this is, this is a huge victory, especially for people who are a fan of putting a price on uh, pollution like we are here. Uh, for Senator Manchin to be on board with the methane fee, for him to be bringing it up. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen with reconciliation, but if reconciliation happens, I feel very confident that a methane fee is going to be a part of that. And that's, that's a really positive thing. So uh, just to bring it all together, uh, there is still a chance to pass reconciliation, and it would be very good for the climate if that did pass. Uh, there is a very low but non-zero chance that a carbon price is a part of that. There is a very strong chance that a methane fee would be a, will be a part of it. And in fact, I would be, I'd be very surprised if it were not. And Democrats will need to hear from their constituents to get a final agreement over the line. And that's where we come in. Uh, so those are my, my final thoughts on uh, reconciliation. So now let's, let's get into inside the brains of members of Congress and their staff. What are they thinking? They're thinking a lot about the election. Uh, so that's if, if, if your only answer here is they're thinking about the election, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, so we are in election season. Um, Policy discussions are increasingly going to be happening inside the context of the upcoming midterms in November for all members of Congress, both parties. Um, there is a lot of time dedicated to the elections, especially in the August and September timeframe. For example, in the House, they're going to be off for six weeks starting in August. And then they'll be off for another six weeks during the election, so in uh, October and into November. Uh, and then they're only in session for four weeks after the election. So for the House, they only have 13 work weeks where they are in session this year. The Senate has four weeks off in August, as always, and they have another four for the election, but they are, they are going to be at work for 20, 
20 weeks left uh, in 2022. Uh, so that's that's really not that much time. Uh, and so this is this is a yeah, it's not really that much time. So that's something that you should be bearing in mind. Uh, and I will I will also note that uh, uh, the House, in case they lest they look bad, um, they do work when they are not in session. Uh, out of session means they just can't vote. Uh, they are often not in DC, uh, but conversations do still happen. They're just uh, they're just much less spontaneous. So I don't I don't want to completely uh, uh, make the house look bad there. Uh, and what what are the priorities of the two parties going to be? Well, for Democrats, they have a really really strong incentive to pass something through reconciliation. Uh, they've been talking about it uh, this entire Congress. They remember they already passed a reconciliation bill last year in March for for COVID relief. Uh, and last year there was a, this tension between Democratic moderates and between Democratic progressives uh, regarding whether or not progressives would would even be willing to accept a, a smaller package. And now it, it does seem as if progressives have stood down on that and they are willing to accept a smaller package. And part of that, I think, is uh, concern about the election. Republicans, they are going to be interested in denying Democratic legislative successes. Uh, I think that they Republicans are feeling good right now. You just look at the um, uh, at the retirement gap. So this is the gap in how many Democrats are retiring versus how many Republicans are retiring. Um, and there are right now a lot more Democrats retiring. Uh, and that's usually an indication that uh, of how the election how members of Congress uh, expect the election to go. Uh, so that, that's a reason to uh, believe that Republicans are gonna take at least one chamber uh, after this election. And it's always important to uh, think about the staffer most of you will be meeting with. Um, right now, the, if it's a Democratic staffer, they are, they are tired. They are tired of reconciliation. Uh, with all those recesses, uh, you, you have a very sporadic up and down workload. Your work, 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 work while Congress is in session advising your member of Congress on all those votes. Remember, that's what in session means. It's, it's the Congress can vote. Um, and then you get to the end and then you, you, you have much less to do, um, especially when uh, things have not been moving forward on reconciliation for so long. So have, have some sympathy for uh, Democratic staffers. Uh, Republican staffers have the same sporadic workloads uh, advising on votes. Uh, they are not going to have the uh, same level of reconciliation fatigue, so they might have a, a bit more, they might just be more patient um, because they, they have not been involved in this process, given the nature of the process. And so what is, what is our opportunity? What are we trying to get uh, in, this, in this lobby day? Well, for Democrats, we want to get moderate and progressive Democrats to vote for a reconciliation package that uh, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema can agree on. And we want to remember that this would be a huge, huge win for climate. Uh, up to this point, the largest investment in climate that we have made was the over $100 billion that uh, was made in the bipartisan infrastructure package that passed last year. And so uh, even $550 billion uh, would be five times the largest investment uh, made in climate. Uh, so this really would be a huge win for the climate. Uh, and again, we want to keep those greenhouse gas molecules out of the atmosphere. So uh, we would like to get it over the line. 
Uh, and we also want to start Democrats to start thinking productively about climate in the next Congress. And this is where the supporting asks will be very helpful, uh, getting them to think, you know, the Republicans are likely to control at least one branch of Congress next time. Uh, we want to get them to uh, start moving, walking faster towards climate solutions. Uh, and so uh, those supporting asks uh, will help us achieve this second goal. For Republicans, as I said, we want to get them to walk faster towards climate solutions. Um, and this is going to be for moderate Republicans in the House and Senate Republicans. What do I mean by walking faster? This is an analogy I used in November. Uh, it used to be the case that uh, for CCL, we were trying to get Republicans to uh, turn around. They were walking away from climate solutions. We were trying to get them to turn around and walk in the other direction. Well, now, especially with the uh, Conservative Climate Caucus in the House with over, over 70 members and with the uh, 47 Republicans who voted for the Growing Climate Solutions Act, a bill that has climate solutions in the title in the Senate, uh, that's 47 Republicans voting for it. Republicans are walking in the direction of climate solutions like they never have before. And the opportunity, especially while uh, they're, they're feeling good, uh, about their election chances. Uh, the media isn't as focused on them uh, because they're in the minority. Um, that's a great time to get them to commit, uh, to ratchet up their climate ambition. So it's harder to walk that back in the next Congress. Uh, and for uh, populist Republicans in the House, uh, we plan to bring them a message that the world has moved on a carbon price uh, and the world is starting to think about carbon border adjustment mechanisms. Uh, I'll talk more about this next week in greater detail, uh, but we think that this will be a, a good way to get populist Republicans moving forward on climate. Uh, there's been a lot of evidence that this is a useful, um, uh, a useful line of discussion uh, with, with Republicans, not just populist Republicans, but all sorts of Republicans. So that's the opportunity. Uh, and uh, tuning for next week's webinar, as I said, we'll talk about this segmentation. I kind of went over it briefly. Uh, populist Republican, moderate House Republicans, Senate uh, Republicans. Uh, we've got rank and file Democrats in the House. We've got progressive Democrats in the House. We've got six segments. Uh, uh, for, uh, Senate Democrats would be the sixth one. I'll be describing each of those segments next week and talking in more detail about what the primary asks will be. And we'll be breaking out the supporting asks and how to, how to deploy those to greatest effect. I just gave you a teaser tonight. Uh, so that's that. And now let's move on to conclusions and then to questions. Well, this is a really unusual time uh, on the Hill. The politics on Capitol Hill is, is just, it's just bizarre. <laughs> the good thing is that climate does remain a top priority for the president and for Congress. And that is, that is great. Uh, the biggest successes for climate this year so far have actually been bipartisan successes. Uh, I mentioned both of these, the bipartisan infrastructure package that included that more than $100 billion for climate and that 92 to 8 vote for the Growing Climate Solutions Act. Those were also very, very bipartisan um, votes uh, that were big wins for climate. So uh, bipartisanship is not dead, especially on this issue. Uh, reconciliation had been the primary way forward for Democrats, but there is some malaise that has set in. Uh, competing priorities and crises have drawn their attention away from reconciliation, as has the impending election. They will need their constituents. They will need you 
to refocus their attention on this and remind them how important an opportunity this moment is to keep carbon out of the atmosphere. Uh, the bipartisan, uh, oops, my, there we go. Uh, the uh, bipartisan pathways remain open and the Senator Manchin, Senator Murkowski pathway may in fact feed directly into reconciliation in a positive way. Uh, at present, it appears that the pros outweigh the cons, so that seems good. Uh, Republicans remain engaged on climate, and this conference represents a great opportunity to get them to walk faster towards climate solutions and to get populist Republicans to consider a carbon price through the lens of the carbon border adjustment. So there is plenty for us to do in June. Uh, and with that- we have I'm a whole other training. Um, so again, same time, same channel next week. That link has been dropped in the chat several times. You can also just look on our events calendar on CCL Community and see it available for you to RCP. Find out all that information. A quick little reminder again to log your training. And if you have any questions after tonight, uh, again, know that you're more than welcome to go to the forums. We put a link where you can also find the training in the chat as well as here at our YouTube channel. It'll all drop by tomorrow afternoon so that you can share this with anyone that couldn't make us live. We know that Thursday evenings aren't the best for everyone. So feel free to make sure to get that out to the rest of your chapter or your teams preparing for the lobby days in June. Um, but what I'm gonna do tonight to close us off is just make sure that we can give you some love and healing energy, Danny, by allowing all of us to unmute. So I'm gonna ask you all to unmute. Thank you all for being here. You guys are gonna make this happen. We look forward to seeing you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.